Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. So if you'll look at Matthew chapter 11, 25 through 30, I'm going to read it, and then we'll, we'll just kind of break this chapter down a little bit today. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Father, I just thank you for this word, this invitation from Jesus to learn from him and to take his yoke upon us. Father, I know that there are things that uh, we need to know in this chapter. I ask that you would give me the uh, ability to articulate them, to speak them, and and give us ears to hear and hearts to understand, Lord. Don't let this word just bounce off our ears, but Lord, let it sink into our hearts and uh, cause real change in our lives as we grow closer and closer to you into the image of the fullness of the measure, the stature of Jesus Christ, that perfect man. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so what's going on in this verse? Verse 25, it starts at that time. So this is a specific time, right? at that time. So if you look earlier in the in the chapter 11, what happened was Jesus has been with messengers from John the Baptist. John the Baptist at this time had been put into prison. His ministry is coming to an end. His life is about to come to an end. Do you realize his ministry only lasted I don't it was months. It was measured in months. It may be I can't remember it was 18 months maybe is all the longer John the Baptist's ministry was, but he was that prophet who Jesus said was the greatest prophet. And here he is, he's in jail now, he's in prison, and he, do, he doesn't know it, but he's about to be beheaded. And his, his time has come to an end. He did his job. He fulfilled his purpose. He fulfilled his calling. He was the forerunner for Jesus, the Messiah, Israel's Messiah. And uh, John's in prison, and he's wondering, have I run in vain? Is Jesus the one we were waiting for, or should we look for somebody else? Because, you know, after you've run hard, and and he gave his life for the ministry. He didn't have to be so hard on Pharaoh, or not Pharaoh, uh, um, Herod. (laughs) Thank you, Pharaoh. I'm in a whole different millennium at that point. Man, where'd that come from? I don't know. But he didn't have to be so hard on him calling his sin out publicly, but it got him killed. And so he's wondering, was it worth it? Maybe I should have shut up. <laughs> Maybe Jesus isn't the one. Maybe there's another. So he sent his messengers to him. And he said, are you the one or should we look for another? And if you'll just look, if, you, if you're if you open to Matthew chapter 11, just keep your finger there today, all right? Um, we'll jump around, but we'll always come back to Matthew chapter 11, okay? But if you'll look up at verse 4, Jesus answered John's messengers. He said, go and tell John what you hear and see. I like that. Say what you hear and see. You guys are real responsive today. Say, what you hear and see. All right. Usually it just happens like that. I don't know. I didn't say it very clearly. And then he says, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. 
He said, go and tell John what you hear and see. See, at that moment that those messengers were there, they could witness Jesus ministering to people. And what was happening? The lame were walking. I mean, I, I did a study one time and I just looked up all these words in the Greek, you know. Usually, I, I've, I've discovered later in life that you can usually just count what the Bible says because lame means lame at the end of the day. But I looked up all these words and I mean, this is like people who have, you know, no use of their legs or people who are missing body parts and they came to him hobbling, you know, and he healed them. Broken things were repaired. Missing things were grown back. This is the kind of miracles that Jesus did regularly. We, we hear about them uh, happening today even, but not as prolific as we've seen in Jesus' ministry. But they do happen, praise God. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear, deaf ears are opened. Dead are raised up. Jesus raised the dead in his ministry, did he not? So did, so did the apostles after him. Peter and, and uh, Paul both raised the dead in the book of Acts. And, and he says, go back and tell John. Listen, he didn't say, you know, yes, I'm the Messiah. And he didn't pull out a bunch of Bible verses. John knew the scriptures. Jesus knew the scriptures. They were Jewish people. They knew about Pharaoh. See, I knew Pharaoh had to come in there somewhere. No, it had nothing to do with Pharaoh. But they knew about Israel's history. They knew the prophets. They knew the prophecies concerning the Messiah. And Jesus didn't try to go to the Bible and prove through the scriptures. What did he say? He said, go tell John what you hear and see. See, now I know where Peter got it. Remember Peter on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, verse 33? Everybody comes running out because they're all, you know, the Spirit's on them. They're lit up with fire, and they're speaking languages that they don't have any way of knowing out on the street. And they're, they're saying, what's going on? And Peter st stands up, and he starts preaching, and he gets, gets to Acts 2.33 in the middle of the sermon here, and he says, "...being exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit..." He, that's Jesus, has poured out that this that yourselves are seeing and hearing. That's what Jesus did. He said, what you see in here, let me explain it to you. And Peter's saying, look, what you're seeing and hearing is what Jesus is doing. And I'm telling you, we are called as a church not to always be trying to defend everything by arguing. We're supposed to be living this life out in such a way that when people say, man, why do you have that peace? Well, let me tell you, what you're seeing in me is Jesus, because I didn't have it before. You know, where did you get that, that uh, you know, how, did, how, how in the world did you buy a, a house in this market? Well, you see, it was Jesus because it was, it's really impossible. And, and I just had the right person at the right time, and here I am. And, you know, how, how, did, how did you get healed? I thought the doctor said you weren't going to make it. Well, he did. He said, you know, how, how did you get off of oxygen? Right? When the doctor said well, it was a 10% chance. And, and uh, praise God, you're not wearing oxygen. <laughs> you have a testimony. You want to share that right now? Share that. I, I, will, I will, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I knew, I got word that you were going to share, and then you didn't show up. So let's. I got word I was going to share, so I didn't show up. Is that what happened? Well, we're going to sneak up on you today. Tell us what happened. <laughs> Give me 20% and we'll see what you can do it. <laughs> and I've worked. 
go. And told him what I was doing, and he had, I had went and had tests run, and he said, all my tests look great. He said, uh, he said, you know, it's getting better and better. And as he walked out the door, I said, what would you do? And he didn't know what I was doing. And he said, I'll tell you, do what you're doing. And as he walked out the door, like an afterthought, he said, and I think you're going to come all the way off oxygen. But she needs to tell. She and I went shopping together. Oh, I went for oxygen at home. And we were shopping. We went out to eat. We were gone, what, about four hours? Yeah. Didn't need any oxygen. <laughs> 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 Praise God. The oxygen, I had my thing, it never went below 92. Wow. Praise God. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. Yeah. See, how did you get off oxygen? Well, what you're seeing is Jesus working in my life. <laughs> what you're seeing is Jesus doing a miracle right before your eyes, right before the eyes of the doctor who said, I'll give you a 10% chance. Wouldn't even go up to 20%, man. But, you know, that's what we're supposed to do as a church. We're supposed to be able to say, you know, what you're seeing and hearing right now, these things happening in my life and in my ministry and the people that, uh, and I say my ministry, I mean your ministry too. You have a ministry. In your ministry, the people you're in contact with, and when they ask you, what is going on? Well, we'll see, this is what God is doing. This is how God works. You want some of this peace too? You want him to help you too? You want him to give you strength to overcome the situation in the world and the flesh and the devil and anything else that we need to overcome? He will do it for you too. But we're explainers of what God is doing. That's the kind of life he's called us to live. Amen? Come on, that's really good. At least I like it. So, so he's called us to operate in the power of the Spirit. He's called us to be able to demonstrate the kingdom of God. You know, there's, uh, when, when you get too far ahead, you got to go back and read your notes. I'm sorry. He simply let, yeah, he let the evidence of, you see, when Jesus said to John, he said, go tell, go tell John what you see in here, right? And the blind receive sight. See, John knew he was a Jewish person. Jesus was a Jewish person. They both knew that when the Messiah comes, he would open the eyes of the blind. That was one of the, the prophecies, one of the distinguishing marks of Jesus the Messiah. So what Jesus is saying, go tell John what you see in here. You are seeing the kingdom of God in operation, at work. I am revealing to you the kingdom right now in this place. And so they went back and reported to what he saw, and then John knew he was the one. Praise God. That's good, isn't it? But see, we get hung up on labels all the time. Labels, you know. Uh, if you guys, uh, you know, recently I've finally, after a year and a half, uh, got to go to Nashville and the network said I could be a preacher. The, the, the assembly guy, yeah, praise the Lord. And, and uh, I'm glad they have, but I've been preaching for a while before they told me that I could be official. But, but you know, the thing about that is, uh, I was talking to Rinkum about it yesterday. A lot of the things that we do as, as pastors here are things that we've done all our lives. We, we have. Um, we've, we've worked in that calling even when nobody recognized us. You know, people would come to us for prayer and opportunities. And if we ever heard of somebody in a hospital, we, we were just there. And we weren't there in the name of any church or anything. We were there in the name of Jesus. 
you know, and, and so I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled and it's an honor that, you know, the, the, the network, the assemblies looked into my life and interviewed me and talked to everybody who, who, who I gave them as a reference and said, okay, we bless you. I mean, that's an honor. I'm not trying to belittle that. But the thing is, what, what it's something that we've been called to do. We didn't need the label to, to do the work, right? You know, so my opinion is, you know, the tree, the, the Bible says a tree is known what? Not by the sign at the base of the tree. The tree is known by the fruit it produces. So I'm not really impressed. Like, don't come and tell me that you're a prophet. Say something that shows to me you're a prophet. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Let me see what you say if those words come to pass or not. Let me hear, hear the word of exhortation. It'll come with the witness of the Holy Spirit. And I'll know if you're a prophet. But if you just tell me you're a prophet, I'll be like, okay, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> Don't tell me you're an apostle or a prophet or an evangelist. Let me see the fruit in your life, right? Because we are all called to different things, and we're called to bear fruit for the kingdom in different ways. But our ministries, our callings will be recognized by what? Our fruit. Our fruit. And in churches, we get sometimes a little too carried away, I think, by trying to have labels. Not here, thank God. <laughs> I know I'm not talking about y'all, but it, it does. You know, you see it a lot out there. There's, it's you know, I'm a prophet is so and so, or evangelist so and so, or minister so and so. We're very big on labels, and uh, Jesus said, "What you have one father, you have one teacher, right? You're all brothers, right? And we all have ministry to do. We all have work to do for the kingdom. Amen." So anyway, I don't know why I got off onto that. But after, they, after these disciples from John, they leave and they head back to John the Baptist to let him know, Jesus starts speaking to the crowds about John. That's what he's doing. And in verse 20, this is interesting because he begins to denounce the cities where most of his miracles had taken place. He, you know, if you've, if you've read it, it's like, woe unto you. And he starts talking about these different cities. You know, every time I've read that in the past, I've just kind of read over it because I don't have a, necessarily a, a geographical reference for some of these cities. But, you know, if you read that, he actually names Capernaum, which is the city where he lived during all of his ministry. You know, he, he, he was, you know, born in Bethlehem and then he was brought up in Nazareth. But he lived, he moved to Capernaum as he started his ministry. And so he's living in that city. That means the people who are coming to him for miracles, they lived in that city, many of them. Some came from afar, but many of them. You know, the, think about Jairus' daughter, you know, the synagogue ruler. Think about the man they let down through the roof of the house. I'm talking Capernaum. This is where all these things happened. Isn't that interesting? So here's the people who know the people personally who had been healed. And yet here he is now pronouncing, uh, denouncing Capernaum because they would not repent. That's a sobering thought, isn't it? Because, you know, sometimes we get the idea that, man, if we just, you know, have those miracles happen. We have miracles happening. That doesn't mean that Knoxville's going to receive us. I hate to tell you. I'd love to see a revival that just captures all of Knoxville. But here's Capernaum where Jesus himself is living, and he has to pronounce a judgment on the city, a judgment to come, because they would not repent at the miracles that had happened there. What they would do, they'd say to things, say things like this. They would dismiss him. They say, "Oh, he's a Samaritan and he's demon possessed." They say, "Oh, you know how he does those things? You know how he casts out demons? He does it by the power of demons." Yeah, that's it. Come on, they knew it wasn't true, but they would say that. How much more are they going to say that about his followers? All right. <clears throat> 
Just be ready for it. Man, live the truth. Don't get your cues from the world. <laughs> live this out. Amen. So our text begins then. I'm going to pick it up at 25. And, and uh, Jesus, he says, at that time. That's what's going on, okay? You got a little context. He, he, uh, he just is pronouncing these woes on, this, on these cities that wouldn't repent. And he says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise understanding, and you have revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. I'm just telling you, there are things in God that are absolutely hidden from the unrepentant. Think about that. He says, you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding. Because you don't get the things of God by being super smart or understanding. Nothing wrong with being super smart. It's just not how they come. Right? And you've revealed them to little children. See, there's more ways to learn things than just your, your uh, reason. Right? Sorry, Descartes, right? Wasn't he the one who said, I think, therefore I am? Right? You know, there, he wanted to understand everything through reason. Well, there's more out there than what I can grab hold of through reason. Who can comprehend God? But I can experience God. And I may have to let some of my earth-trained wisdom go in order to step in and experience more of God. Doesn't mean it's not real just because I can't figure it out or understand it. Right? God has things for me. Amen? And so there are things that exist that are beyond my comprehension or my ability to figure out. And there are also things that I can never know, never know until I come to God as a child and he uncovers them. That's what the word reveals means. Reveal, he revealed them. It just means he takes the lid off and he shows you. Oh, you'll understand it. You'll think about it then. It's not like you have to, you know, check your brain at the door. It's nothing like that. Um, but, but, but it doesn't come through that door. Does that make sense? So there are things that uh, we'll never understand until we come in simplicity and obedience like a little child. And then he'll reveal it to us. He'll show us. It means he'll teach us. He wants to teach us. So, you know, I looked up the words just for fun. The word wise, you know, you've, you've hidden these things from the wise. That's the Greek word sophos. It's a pretty word. It's, you know, the word, the name Sophia means wisdom. Uh, understanding, the King James Version says uh, prudent. And it, it actually means in the Strong's, it says mentally put together. <laughs> Thank God for people who are mentally put together. I'm telling you what. <laughs> but that's not the prerequisite to receiving from God. But it's good to be mentally put together, yeah. And then little children, the King James says babes. It means an infant. That's what it means, an infant, a, simp a simple person. You know, you don't, maybe don't have everything figured out yet, but you don't have to wait till you have everything figured out to, to come to God and step in. So, you know, it sounds like today, I, I think we have a lot of the same thing that Jesus was dealing with too, you know. I, I hear people say, well, you know, those, those manifestations. I mean, okay, I don't hang around with this crowd a lot, but you don't have to search far on the internet to find comment sections on, on videos and things. But Boy, you know those people, those manifestations they're having over there, they can't be from God, right? right? Okay, well, Mr. Intellectual, that's closed to you. You'll never enter into that. Oh, you know, God did those things, all those miracles to establish the church, but miracles don't happen today. All right, prudent and understanding person, that's closed to you. 
You're not going to enter into that. You know, sometimes God wants you to be sick, to teach you something or has a purpose. Just be careful because what God revealed in Jesus is he healed everyone who came. Let's not let our reasoning of the situation we find ourselves in close the door to us. Let's just keep coming like a child and trusting him. I can't believe miracles until they're scientifically studied and verified and put in a peer-reviewed journal and everybody agrees on it. All right, well, then it'll stay closed to you. And people will go on and experience God and have miracles all around you and you won't see them because you can't see them because you've refused to see them. And God has a special purpose maybe for, for me to be going through this. Well, the special purpose for you is to overcome it. Amen? The special purpose is for you to beat that thing and bring him glory. That's the special purpose. Pretty simple. You know, the kingdom does not belong to the wise and educated. It belongs to the children. It belongs to the poor in spirit. It belongs to those who mourn, to the meek, to the hungry for righteousness. It belongs to those who show mercy. It belongs to those who are pure in heart. None of those require a brilliant intellect to, to carry out, do they? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and it was a lot like us today. It, it had a glut of good, glut, a glut, a ton, a lot of good teaching. I mean, they had Apollos and Peter and Paul, they were all working there, and they all had these messages. And, and what was happening is these Corinthians were becoming divided among loyalties to one teacher over another. And this is a problem with Paul. But he comes, and he's, he's probably one of the most inarticulate uh, public speakers. You get that idea from reading his letters, and that always gives me great hope because it's not about how good you can articulate. It's the Spirit of God that you carry. And I just pray, you know, as we stand here and we minister, that we are carriers of the Spirit of God and ministers of the life of God, even if sometimes we stumble on our words, right? But uh, uh, he says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And listen, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross be emptied of, his, of its power. Man, that's a serious phrase right there. He's saying, if I came to you with eloquent wisdom, I would actually be leaked. I'd be giving up the power of the cross to give you something that would tickle your ears in an intellectual way. I'd rather come as a stumbling fool <laughs> with the power of the Spirit so that your faith might rest on the power of God, not the human wisdom and human reason. So he says, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross be emptied of its power, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. It's foolishness to those who are, who are out here in the world, in the dying world. But to us who are being saved, the cross, the word of the cross, the message of the cross is the power of God. And if I try to take something that's as simple as the cross, Jesus died in my place and he's Lord and he's King, and I try to take that and, and make it pleasing to a Greek philosophical crowd, I am going to lose the power of the simplicity of the gospel. If you skip down to verse 21 in that same chapter of 1 Corinthians, it says, For since in the wisdom of the world, the world did not know God through wisdom. So because 
in God's wisdom, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of that which we preach to save those who believe. You don't know God through human wisdom. James says in the book of James, he says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in meekness and wisdom. By his good conduct. If you're wise and understanding, what should be happening? You should be demonstrating it, how you live your life, right? Let him show by his good conduct. That's, that's biblical wisdom. That's godly wisdom. What can I do to demonstrate Jesus Christ to you, to demonstrate love to you and demonstrate the kingdom of God to you? That, will, that is the wisdom that comes from above. But he goes on, he says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Demonic. Those are pretty strong words, isn't it? But thank God. The, see, he, 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 Jesus came to the cross. He did what he did. And, and I like how um, uh, one old-time preacher who, who's no longer with us, um, he'd say, you know, God didn't go and die and then hang the fruits of what he did, you know, the results of what he did so high that none of us could reach it. You know, we use the phrase low-hanging fruit. Man alive, he, he hung it low so even the child can come and pick it. If we have to be super, you know, intellectual or, I mean, I'm, I'm not picking on intellectuals. Rinkin picks on me. She says, I'm too intellectual. I don't know. But, uh, but I'm not picking on being intellectual and smart. We need to discipline our minds. I'm just saying there are things to be known of God and about God that you do not enter them through that doorway. Now, if you're a smart person and you're an intellectual, once you experience that, man, use that ability to articulate it and communicate it. God's not just dogging people who are thinkers. I don't want to come. I don't want to come come that way. It doesn't do us any good for all of us just to try to be stupid, <laughs> so, so God could be exalted. That's not what I'm saying at all. But sometimes we've exalted, you know, human reason and human wisdom over godly reason and godly wisdom. And we need to come at it the way that God, God brings us. So Jesus says, back to Matthew uh, chapter 11 and verse 25, he says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. And in verse 27, it says, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. This that verse is loaded right there. I think you could preach for, for a long time on that verse. But I just want to hit a couple of points on, on here today. Uh, first, The first is this, the key. Jesus reveals the Father. Jesus reveals the Father. This is so important. In Hebrews chapter 1, Verses 1 through 3, it says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So in times past, he's saying that God spoke to our fathers, the Jewish fathers, through the prophets. Easy enough, right? But in these last days, verse 2, he has spoken to us by his son. So it's still God speaking. It was God speaking through the prophets, but now God is speaking through another way. He's speaking by his son. And he says, whom he appointed the heir of all things and through whom also he created the world. 
in verse 3, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. I'm going to stop there because I want to emphasize he is the exact imprint of his nature. See, the prophets could not reveal God the way Jesus could. There is no prophet that the Bible says is the exact imprint of his nature. But Jesus is the exact imprint of the nature of God. So much that when you saw Jesus, you saw God. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9, it says, For in him, speaking of Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. That means the fullness of the Godhead. However you understand that in your thinking, as much as you can, as much as you want to try to figure that out, the whole fullness of God dwelt in Jesus in a bodily form. That's an amazing thought. And what's crazy about that to me is it's just humbling to think that God could, the fullness of God can dwell in a human body. Because God wants to inhabit you in the same way he inhabited Jesus. I mean, when when he came, it's, you know, Adam was created and he was made in what the Bible calls the image and likeness of God. That means he was, that means when Jesus came and took on the role of taking on flesh and coming into this creation, this was a role marked out for him, for him specifically from the beginning. Because he didn't come, he came into, you know, at that point, you know, we would say that man was made in the likeness of Adam because Adam had sinned. So he took on the nature of the sinful man in that way. Oh, he never sinned. He took on our nature. But still, the, the, the idea that God and man can be so unified and co-joined together that the very life of God can flow through you is just an amazing thought. We've settled for, a, a, for such a, a, a low level sometimes of Christianity when this is what God is calling us up to. I want to live in them. I want to work through them. I want to express myself through them the way I can express myself through Jesus. So how do you know what God is like? You look at Jesus. How do you know what the will of God is? You look at Jesus. You know, we've looked at everything else. We've looked at circumstances. That's a horrible way to know what the will of God is. Just because things aren't right in your life right now or in people's lives in general, I'm not cursing anybody by saying that, but just because we go through things doesn't mean that that's the will of God. Right? I mean, why, why, what do we pray when we approach God about problems? We want him to change them, right? God, I want you to conform my circumstances into your will. Because I need a change from what I'm seeing right now. Circumstances are a horrible way to know the will of God. We look at, I mean, I hate to say this, but there are a lot of traditions and even superstitions out there that we carry. Because we think that they're reality, and they're not. If you want to know what God is like, don't look at superstitions about God. You know, I mean, the world has crazy ideas about what God is. I was listening to a Christian lecture who was just, uh, there's a, a program I listen to occasionally, and they had um, some new age people on there, and they were just talking about the different views. This is one of those things that get me going intellectually, you know, listening to them kind of debate. There is a kind debate, but it's interesting. But I'm just telling you, there's some crazy ideas out there about what God is or the divine being or whatever, you know. There's just some off-the-wall stuff. And uh, we, we, we're not called to look at those things to know what God is like. We look at Jesus. He is the one who is the exact 
image, the exact representation of his nature. You can't know what God is like by looking at anything else. We can't look at our feelings, man. How many times do we go by our feelings? Well, I just feel that. It, it should be like this. I just really want it. Well, if I really wanted it, come on, Rin, come out about that car already. <laughs> But, uh, but no, you can't go by your feelings. Your feelings don't lead you into truth. I, uh, one of my favorite things I heard a person say about feelings was your feelings were given to you so that you could enjoy right decisions. They were never given to you to lead you. They were given to you so that when you do get led by truth and God and the spirit, you can enjoy those right decisions. Your feelings will catch up. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but sometimes you got to go against your feelings when you're taking a stand for truth. Anything you do for the first time doesn't feel natural. Come on. Remember a couple weeks ago, I played that video of people riding the bike and, 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 and they couldn't. It didn't feel natural, but they stayed with it. And then they got to the point where it felt better, right? I don't know if I could ride a bike like that, that long to where I would ever feel natural. But uh, the things that you do when you start learning an instrument or something, it doesn't feel natural. You stay with it. It becomes natural. So how do you know what God is? You look at Jesus. You don't even look at the law and the prophets. Though the prophets spoke for God, you can get a glimpse, but the Bible says that they were a shadow of what was coming, not the reality. Jesus comes. He's the reality. We can look at Jesus. So Jesus reveals the Father. Give you a couple verses on this. John 1 and 18. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the... No one has ever seen God, semicolon. The only God, which is Jesus, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. No one's ever seen God, but Jesus has made him known. John um, 14, uh, 8, 8 through 10, Philip, I love Philip, he said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and that's enough for us. So they're hanging out, Jesus is talking to them about things to come, you know, and he goes, hey, Jesus, just show us the Father. That'll be enough for us. Well, I guess it'd be enough for anybody, you'd think. And what does Jesus say? He says, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. So Jesus is saying to Philip, I, I can do these miracles because the Father is in me working through me. It's the Father doing these works. And do you know it's the same for us? Because Jesus says, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. I want my kingdom to advance through you. I want to work through you the same way the Father works through me. Come on, let's not settle for some kind of low level. Or whatever. Let's press in for everything God has for us. Amen? It's important for us to realize that Jesus reveals the Father because the Father's will has not changed for us. He wants his influence, his kingdom to increase through us on the earth. Now, this passage that we're reading in Matthew chapter 11, uh, there is a parallel in, in the book of Luke. And uh, in Luke chapter 10, Jesus, again, he just pronounced the uh, woes on the cities and uh, in Luke, it's kind of neat because it's intertwined with the 72 being sent out and coming back. But he just pronounces the, uh, you know, denounce these cities that refuse to believe him. And in verse 16, I think this is so interesting. Jesus says, 
at the end of that passage, the one who hears you hears me. The one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Okay. He said to Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Because me and the Father are one. Then he turns around and he says, I am so connected to you that if they will receive you, they'll receive me. And if they will reject you, they will reject me. That's how connected God wants us to be to him, to his ministry, to his purpose. So much that when we go out as his messengers, it's not me they're rejecting or accepting, it's him. What kind of life do I need to live so that I can go and stand and speak his words? And so to the extent that if you reject me, if you get mad right now and say you're crazy and walk out, that you've rejected not me, but him. That's how we're called to live. So let's go to verse 27. We'll bring this thing in for a landing here today. All things, Jesus said, have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. We just read this. Um, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and to anyone on whom the Son chooses to reveal him. The other point I wanted to bring out in this particular verse is the fact that there is no other way to God except through Jesus the Son. He is the way, the truth, the life, not a way, right? He's the way. Uh, he's radically exclusive in this. He makes no apologies. He says what? No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Those are strong words. But the good news is he gives us this invitation in verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Just like, I feel like just a settling down with that. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. You know, there's a rest. Faith is called a rest, is it not? There's a rest of faith, or a rest when I cease from trying to strive and get it my own way and trust Him. One of my, my favorite um, things I heard a preacher say one time was uh, he, people being, Josh, you'll appreciate this. You've probably seen these people nervous of flying. And they're afraid to be in the airplane. And so they sit there clinging, digging their fingernails into that chair as if their own efforts are holding that airplane up. You know what I'm saying? Like, you might as well just let go and rest and sink your whole weight down into that chair and just take a deep breath and rest because the reality is that thing is holding you up anyway. <laughs> you are not holding it up by being nervous. <laughs> We rode roller coasters the other day. It was the same thing. <laughs> yeah, I found out my wife doesn't like roller coasters. I was surprised. I thought she would love roller coasters. I do too. I mean, and, and then we made the mistake of taking Abigail on a roller coaster. Uh, like, I shouldn't have taken her on this. Hey, it's been like a long time since I've ridden a roller coaster. I love them. I just haven't ridden for a while. And I thought, well, shoot, she's tall enough. Let's go. I didn't realize how extreme this roller coaster was, man. She was. She just got limp, man. All the color left her face. She, she sit there like I, was like, I felt so bad. I'm like, oh, I'm such a terrible father. I put her on this roller coaster. So I'm trying to comfort her and hold her hand. And, you know, it's like, <laughs> That was horrible. 
She wouldn't ride a roller. She wouldn't even ride the kitty roller coaster after that. <laughs> Take me with y'all next time. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I thought they were great. There were a couple, man. We could just keep walking on, but uh, I didn't have anybody to keep walking on with. So, oh well. Oh well. Maybe I'll have to do something else. I told her if you won't roll, won't ride roller coasters with me, let me go ahead and buy a motorcycle again. <laughs> But uh, anyway, uh, it's a rest. There's a settling down. I mean, that roller coaster is actually holding you up. You're being nervous and digging into it and hanging on and being all tense is not keeping you on that track and in that car. Rest in God. He's got you, right? And, and so I just want to close with this. It's a, he says, come to me. Well, first of all, I preached this a few weeks ago. Who does he invite to come to you? All who are heavy laden. You're loaded down. You're tired. Why? Because you're trying. You're trying to do it. You're trying to keep the law. You're trying to keep the rules. You're trying to do everything right. He's not inviting people who don't care. Do you understand what I'm saying? He's inviting people who do care. You're trying. But he's saying, that's not the way to do it. Come to me. I'm going to give you rest. He says, come, take, learn, and find. Come, Take, learn, and find. Come is, man, be willing to change your location, right? You know, if you come somewhere in the natural, you're leaving one geophysical location and moving somewhere else. Just be willing to leave those things that have been bugging you. Think, leave those things that have been holding you back. Leave those things that are standing in your way and come to him. It's a new life. It's a new way of living. So come. Come learn from me what? Learn from me things that are hidden from the wisdom of the world. I'm going to teach you myself. It's an invitation to be his disciple. It's a beautiful thing. So be willing to make that shift. Be willing to, to uh, agree to move away from where you're at. It may be even, you know, in your thinking or in, in your play. And it maybe is a move. I mean, I, at one point in my life, see, we get into ruts. And sometimes you do have to do something to get out. It's not because God's trying to make you keep a law or something, but uh, I did an internship in New York, um, and, and I took a chance, man. I visited the place one time, and I said, I'm going. Because why? Well, I wanted to break the rut that I was in my life at that point. I, I felt like I was just doing the same thing over and over. And it was like this was a way for me to get away and reevaluate things and think differently. And, and, it, and it did. It was one of those turning points in my life, what I learned there and what I got to do. Sometimes you might need to make a change. But uh, even then, be willing, at least in your thinking and in, in your actions, to make a change. Come to me, he says. And then he says, take. You know, this is, the op op this is what? Take what? Take my yoke. This is an opportunity for you to come and take his yoke. Now, you know, when you, you, when you got a team of horses and they're yoked together, right? They go together, they work together, they move together, right? They can't work in, the, the, they've lost their independent will, right? They're working together. You're taking the yoke of Jesus, you're giving up your independent will to come and learn his way of doing things. And the good news is, he's going to succeed, so just stay with him. <laughs> he says, my yoke is easy, okay? Well, it's not going to be easy if you're bucking against it and always pulling against it. <laughs> That'll make it hard and heavy. But if he's pulling the load and you're yoked up with him, walking with him, it'll be easy. It'll be easy. We sometimes make things harder than we need to. And then he says, and learn from me. What's he asking us to do? He's saying you're going to experience some things that you're going to know about personally for the first hand. So much that they could say like they did in the book of Acts when they were saying these disciples after that miracle 
uh, that happened where the cripple was, was raised up and they were dragged in front of the, the governing council. And they said, what are these bunch of uneducated fishermen? <laughs> you know, uh, Galileans? And they, they, and they said, but they knew they'd been with Jesus. They'd seen something with Jesus. Your time with Jesus, the world will know that you'd been with Jesus. So come, take, learn, and then you'll find rest. And like I said before, you know, rest is a, a, is, it's a, it's a picture of our faith, letting go and trusting him. It takes faith to let go. If you don't trust that roller coaster or that airplane, you'll never let go because <laughs> you're thinking you're, you're holding it up. But if you realize you're not and you can let go, God, God's willing to hold you up. He's willing to be that for you. So just let go. And then rest also is a um, salvation. It's a picture of salvation. Entering, leaving my own efforts, my own works to, 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 do, to be morally good or right and all that stuff. Surrendering that to him and coming into a relationship with him. And letting him look at me and say, man, I, you're, you're good. You're right. You're accepted. You know, there's a, there's a lot over the years. I've heard it all my life. And, and uh, you know, with self-esteem. We need self-esteem, and we need a healthy sense of self-esteem. There's no doubt, you know, there are people who are so destroyed in their self-esteem that, that, that it takes a lot of love and encouragement and counseling to overcome things. But what's better than even self-esteem is when God looks at you and says what I, he thinks about you. When he says, I love you, when he says, you're valuable to me. When he says, I don't know, I just like you, you're so good, at, you know, whatever God says to you, that, that, that's that's such a beautiful, powerful, and life-changing thing to have God. And he's inviting us to do that. Amen? So here's the deal. We don't have a band today, so I'm not going to belabor this. I just want to say a prayer. Uh, next week, um, uh, next week's a cookout. And then the following, don't forget Emily Hauser. But uh, as we go on, if the Lord will let me, I've been kind of just trying to get there, um, but I, I want to get into the Sermon on the Mount because I'm approaching it with the idea that Jesus said, the wise man who hears my words and does them uh, builds his house on a rock. The foolish man hears my words, doesn't do them, builds his house on the sand. And Jesus says, come to me in this verse, learn from me that if we will hear his words and we will do them, we will see just such a, we will make such provision for him to work in our lives and to work through us to the world. You know, we have a, we have a lot of ideas about God and a lot of, a lot of what churches preach is me-centered. In other words, it's about me being, you know, blessed or me being helped or me, whatever. But the truth of the matter is, um, if I'm going to truly be his disciple, I'm going to know his words and I'm going to do what he says. He says, why you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things that I say? Right? If you call him Lord, but you don't do the things that he says, you've not made him Lord. Simple as that. And uh, I, I just want to take the time and just with you guys go kind of a little deeper into the Sermon on the Mount and look at the things that Jesus taught. And expect that as we do that, we'll be established, so established on the rock. Our lives will be established in the word. And then we'll be the kind of people that he can continue. You know, he said to Timothy, right, uh, in a house, there are many kinds, different kinds of vessels. Some are earthen vessels. Some are golden vessels. You know, there's different kinds of vessels. But he says, purify yourself so that you can be a vessel ready 
to be used of him. And that's my hope. I want to be ready. I want to be more ready. I want him to, when he, he sees a need here in our congregation, in our church, that he doesn't say, oh, man, I would use BJ, but he's just not ready. He's not, he's not thinking right in that area or, or it's a hindrance. And I want it for all of us. I want every one of us to be able to meet any need that might pop up in this place. Amen. It's a, it's a serious call, but are you willing? Awesome. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that you have called us and invited us personally to be your disciples, to learn from you, to learn your ways, to walk with you, to walk in your ways, Lord. Father, as, as we go forward in this, Lord, I just pray that um, you will help us, that you'll strengthen us, that you will remind us throughout the week that we can really make a choice to go your way and not the way that maybe seems natural to us or even the way that, that we've been doing it all along, but that we can follow after you. Father God, I would ask you as we come and we accept this, this invitation to be your disciples, to yoke up together with you, I would ask that you would just minister your word to our hearts and empower us and enable us by the power of your spirit, Lord, so that we, are, uh, we become a people who are always looking around and expecting the supernatural, expecting divine help from heaven, Lord, as we live out our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.